Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. And this week we have my friend, Brittany Woodbury. Brittany is a creative of all different sorts. She is big in the arts and crafts world, has her own little Etsy thing going, makes sick cosplays, especially if you're into Disney and lots of other cool stuff. Uh, Brittany is here because she is an ex-Mormon, some of our favorite people. So if everybody can give a warm welcome to Brittany. What's up? (laughs) Brittany, tell us, um, tell us first of all, what we're going to be talking about today and then tell us your testimony surrounding said topic. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um... So, what are we talking about today? Uh, for, for those of you that have listened to our previous ex-Mormon show, um, it was very much from like the male perspective, because Ryan is a man. So, Brittany is going to share what it's like growing up in the Mormon church as a woman, now post kind of Mormon church, what's it like, things like that. Oh, okay. As you can tell, I'm very prepared for this. <laughs> we love it. We love it. <laughs> um, well, uh, I'd like to bear my testimony that I know the Mormon church is not true. I know that Joseph Smith was a con man and a treasure hunter. And I know that Russell M. Nelson's pretty much a big asshole. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Yes, any Mormon would know. (laughs) That is how every testimony meeting goes. Wait, who was the last guy? Russell M. Nelson. He's the current prophet, president of the church. Wait, so your your testimony intro changes every time the prophet changes? Well, they don't change very often. (laughs) Well, usually, you know, like if you were to go to any Mormon testimony meeting it, Oh, like and any 12 year old, eight year old kid goes up, it's always like they have their um, cookie cutter testimony. And it's always like, I like to bear my testimony. I know the church is true. I love my mom and dad, my brothers and my sisters. I know that Joseph Smith is a true prophet. And I know that, you know, Gordon B. Hinckley or Thomas S. Monson or is the current prophet of the church. And I know the Book of Mormon is true. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Like, it's always the same thing. And they make eight-year-olds do this? Like, any any age. Like, from the moment you're allowed to talk and you feel brave enough to go up on the podium or your parents force you to go up there, they all say the same thing. It's usually only, like, the adults that go more into, like, I like to bear my testimony because one time I prayed to heavenly father to help me find my keys 
and he answered me you know and it's like they get more emotional and they like have their own stories behind it but usually like if you're a kid that's like the set yeah thing you say well thanks for coming to this meeting of (laughs) x people (laughs) x whatever (laughs) right so how many times have you done one of those uh in the mormon church i believe testimony meeting it's always fast sunday so that's always one sunday a month oh i've heard of fast sunday and i Mm -hmm. my partner ryan previous mormon he um refuses to wear white shirts to this day and refuses to fast also <laughs> i i feel that i feel that because especially if well what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to um you know the fast is supposed to help you remember your promises to jesus and like you know that there's others out there with needs that you need to like help them by finding Christ and helping them and stuff. And so you're not supposed to really eat breakfast or lunch. I believe it's kind of the, like, usually you eat dinner at the end and whatever you would have spent on meals for that day is what you donate to the church as a fast offering. So like, if you would have spent, you know, like 20 bucks for dinner or lunch, 20 bucks for breakfast, you give $40 to the church as part of your fast offering. Like this is what I would have used, but now I'm giving it to the church. So this is on top of your normal tithing. Yes. I have a question because I, the only female Mormon people that I know are still in the church. So, you know, I don't really get the skinny, so what was your experience as a female? Because you did you grow up in Mormonism since you were like a little kid? Yes. What was that yes. like? It was, well, of course, since I was raised in it, it was just all normal as with anyone. Um, I would be one of those you would consider like a legacy family. Like everybody on my dad's side literally has been part of the church since the 1840s. Like, mm. since its creation. And so we have been like a big Mormon family coming down. And so I was raised in it. It was completely normal. Uh, you know, friends would come over on Sunday and be like, let's hang out and be like, I can't, not allowed to. Uh, growing up as a woman, I know was super hard for me personally because I was a big tomboy growing up. Like I could have cared less about getting married, about doing this or doing that, but that's like what they want your identity to be created around is I remember being mad because in the Mormon church, you have like neutral, which is kind of like youth activities or every week you get together as a youth and do something. And all the boys got to do like archery, kayaking, rock climbing, you know, they got to do really cool things. And the girls, it was more like, we're going to make brownies for someone who is sick, or we're going to make this craft, or we're going to, we're going to learn how to clean dishes properly for when you're a wife and a mother and 
I was always just like, I'd rather go do archery. <laughs> Thank you very much. So did, so I know that like you have, um, you have a brother and, um, you kind of grew up, like you said, in this kind of legacy family. So when you think about like kind of going into adulthood, I feel like that's where a lot of Mormon, just people in general, whether they're still in the church or they're not in the church have to kind of make some pivotal decisions about like what mm-hmm. they're going to do. Um, so what does that look like for women? Cause we know for men, like missions are like, obviously they're not mandatory, but it's kind of like, you should go on mission. Yeah. So, yeah. So for women, like I know women can go on missions, but like, what does that kind of process look like of getting to adulthood and making these choices? Well, when you are a child, like when you're a youth, so I believe up until you're 12-ish, you're in primary, which is mixed. You're with boys and girls. Um, but then after that, you're in either young men's or young women's and you're separated. And then that's when they start getting more into the whole, you know, virtue and chastity. And they talk about things like that, like, you know, you dress modestly. So you, like, they always tell you, you need to dress modest or you need to present yourself in a way where if Jesus or heavenly father were to come visit you right now, like, would you be proud of like what you look like or of how you are appearing before him? And and again, it was like the whole, like you start doing mutual, which is that weekly youth activity. And, um, a lot of the stuff I was doing, it was like preparing to be a mother, preparing to be a wife. Um, and th- that was kind of one of my big, um, cause for whatever reason in my brain, I never connected marriage with salvation where in the church, as a woman, you cannot go to the celestial kingdom, which is the highest, highest level you can go without being married. So a woman needs to have a priesthood holder, a man, essentially bring her through the veil of the celestial kingdom to have her be exalted with him. And so for whatever reason, that never connected in my brain because I was always like, I'm never getting married. I don't want to get married. That's dumb. I can do whatever I want. But when I was 14 is when I got like that Sunday school lesson of like, oh, exaltation is attached to marriage. And then that's when I literally was like, wait, so you're saying I could do everything right. I could be a good person, pay my tithing, read my scriptures, do this, do that. But I won't go to have like... To the celestial kingdom just because I'm not married and they were like yes and I was like that is the stupidest shit I have ever heard in my <laughs> life and I always consider that's my like first seed of doubt so to speak that's what I call it it's my seed of doubt where I was just like okay wait a second hold up what else is going on and that's when I started investigating and you know poking holes into things and seeing what the church was really about. So. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> I can't, I, it's funny. Cause I, I didn't grow up Mormon. I grew up around oddly 
you guys are like taking over the world or whatever because there's a lot in my high school um specifically in my marching band they all gravitated to marching band for interesting uh what yeah i don't know maybe it was just whatever but i always thought now that like i have ingrained culturally into mormonism because ryan's family like his dad isn't Mormon anymore, but his dad is also a legacy family, like with the books mm-hmm. and everything. Um, so Mormons have a huge fascination with keeping his, like their history in books. Like it's like, a, mm-hmm. from what I understand, it's a woman's job to keep the history, right? Like in a family. I mean, it could be probably cause the husband's too busy, you know, being a priest at Holter and, making money for the family so it kind of falls on the woman but yeah i've never heard specifically that but it does seem like something you know they always say like oh a woman's too busy to be a priesthood holder she has way too many other responsibilities we don't want to burden her with priesthood and stuff like that such a burden i know but i've seen we burden her with everything else uh, literally yeah for looking through these books sorry i'm not done with my story everybody okay (laughs) (laughs) but it was always fascinating to me because everybody in their family kind of tries to treat me in a way that's like oh she's the wife but well first of all first she's mexican and she's not mormon so we can't really talk like there's this like weird apprehension which i thoroughly enjoy and like looking through these books that ryan's grandma shows us and ryan's dad show us i love seeing that his great great grandpa was a polygamist and that he was like joseph smith's best friend or something which i'm sure is what everybody's book says right they were best friends with joseph smith (laughs) well i actually i recently because yeah like with mormons genealogy is a big thing like Mm -hmm. it's like they tell you to have a journal because one day you know you're the children of your children of your children are going to want to know your story or whatever Mm -hmm. and i've actually so a lot of my genealogy has been done and yeah like on my dad's side the legacy family several polygamists like it's Mm -hmm. a real thing one of them had like three wives at one point like we never at least in my family we never had any like we didn't have like 17 wives it was always usually around like two or three or four um but yeah there's always stories about like oh one day jeremiah woodbury was approached by joseph smith because joseph smith was having financial troubles and so jeremiah lent him money and joseph blessed him that he will never want for he will never have financial burdens ever again and so like that's what all of the books always say is like usually like they have at least an encounter with joseph and like how he blessed them because they helped him and or you know the miracles they witnessed on their way west to utah <laughs> yeah, that good for those stuff. of you who I, don't know ancestry and 23 and me both mormon both mormon yep. companies <laughs> if you yeah. are a member of the church you get a free membership yeah, I, so I was. You have your member ID. Wow, <laughs> get it for free. I was gonna say they were like the original because I remember someone in my family. I think it was like my maybe like my great grandma or something. My mom told me that yeah, like because the Mormon Church used to like 
do it for non-Mormon people. Like you could pay them a certain amount of money and they would do all of the research for you before like records were like, you know, the internet before you could kind of look up yourself. Mm -hmm. And they would do that for people because their mentality was like, obviously like they want everybody to become Mormon. So they were going to have to do this regardless. So they were like, let's give people all the information now. And then maybe they'll want to become right. <laughs> well, because one of the big reasons for genealogy too, is they want names to be taken to the temple. So, and how it works, like how the afterlife works for Mormon is once you die, you are either put into spirit prison or spirit paradise. And you could be the most amazing person ever and still be put into spirit prison if you have never heard of the church. Like, say you never had an opportunity to hear about the church or whatever. And so what genealogy does is we get those names like from the past, like people who like existed before the church was restored, or like if you were a convert, all of your ancestors, and you take all of their names and information, you put it through the temple and do all the temple ordinances, and then they have a chance in spirit prison to either accept or reject those ordinances. So like there's angel missionaries, they say, that like go and are like, oh, you you know, you've had the opportunity to accept the Holy Spirit and to, you know, accept the restoration of the church or the true gospel, like, and they could be like, yay or nay. And if they say yes and they accept it, then they go to spirit paradise where they wait until, you know, the second coming and then you just, just it's decided whether you go to celestial, terrestrial or telestial or whatever they are. So that's kind of what the big thing about genealogy is, is they're trying to get all of these names to give them the opportunity to have the, the true gospel in their eyes. Were you is ever that... baptized for a dead person? Yes. Ah! <laughs> it is a real thing and it's really bizarre. But of course, when you're, when you're raised in it, right. you're groomed to just be accepting of it. You're like, oh yeah, baptism for the dead. That's normal. But like... When I started telling people like outside of the church, they're like, what the, that's, that's not normal. (laughs) I, I mean, I think we want, we want you to tell us just like what that process looks like, but also of like who qualifies, like how old do you have to be? Like, do you have to pass a certain test? Like what makes you eligible to be the body to be like baptized for somebody kind of thing? Yeah, Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, Well, for me, so usually the first time you ever go into the temple is for baptisms for the dead. That's like your first introduction into the temple, unless for whatever reason you have a family ceiling. So like say your parents were uh, married in the temple, but then they get sealed later on and they want to be sealed to their kids. So that could be a reason you go to the temple. But usually first time is when you're 14 and you're doing baptisms for the dead. And to get, to do that, you have an interview with your bishop, which I don't know if you guys have heard of the whole, like there's been this kind of movement to stop having the one-on-one interviews with oh, bishops yeah. because um, it, they ask very inappropriate questions. Um, some people have been sexually assaulted and 
like, luckily that never happened to me, but it has happened. And I totally believe their stories because you are in a room alone with a man who is your bishop, who you're supposed to trust. Um, and they ask you, like, have you been reading your scriptures? Have you been paying your tithing? Even though, like, at 14, what income are you having to pay tithing? But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they always ask you, like, have you been, are you virtuous? Have you been chased? Like, I don't remember being asked right out if I've ever masturbated, but evidently that is something that people have been asked so either I don't remember or my bishop worded it in a different way. I don't remember. But like they essentially ask you things like that, like very personal. Like if you say no, like you're going to get in, like you have that feeling like I'm going to be in trouble if I say no. So usually, at least for my case, I would lie. I'd be like, yeah, I totally read my scriptures. <laughs> yeah, I pay my tithing when I can. You know, I would always add like, a, I could do better at this, like just to make it sound like I was, I wasn't perfect, but, but I, I lied and I'm sure other people have in the past too. Um, but yeah, so you do the interview. That's how you get your recommend, your temple recommend. That's what gets you into the temple. And then, so when you go, you, you know, you're dressed in your Sunday school clothes and then you, you go inside to a chapel. They, we do like opening prayer, opening song, all that. And then you're taken to kind of like a locker room where you have to change out into, you get like a white jumpsuit like a flight suit almost. And then you are given underwear, which is the precursor to the garments. Basically, you're basically given communal garments to wear under your jumpsuit. Which Can you get to let really other people have worn them? Yeah. Do you get to, do you get to leave your chonies on or? Nope. You have to take everything off. Use oh. infection city. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Like I, you weren't allowed to keep anything on that wasn't pure white or wasn't like temple garb. So you would get completely naked. You would put your little underwears on, which was usually, I remember it being like a little onesie, like a romper that like went up, you know, it gave me great camel toe. And then I, you have to put the jumpsuit on and you're barefoot and like if you had a hair tie you had to take it out and put like a white scrunchie in so it couldn't like nothing could be nothing wow, and people then people in there down <laughs> oh there's a whole thing about people of color in the church that is mm. great it's just great <laughs> racism yay and yay. um you go into, and then once you get changed, you go into the baptismal font room, which is basically, it's this big, big room that's all tiled. And they, there's like a, essentially like a jacuzzi tub on top of 12 ox, like oxen. And that's supposed to represent the 12 tribes of Israel or whatever. And then, so you go up into the little bathtub and there's some, there's a man in there who's going to like dunk you under. And then there's usually another man up on the top. 
And so they like, you know, take your hands, like they're going to just do a normal baptism. And then they're like, I brother, blah, 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 baptize you for in behalf of Joe Schmo, who is dead and the name of the, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, dunks you, pulls you back up. And you do that like five times or however many times. So it's literally like Brittany Woodbury, I baptize you for on behalf of Jane Doe, who is dead. In the name of the father and or in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good job. Good job. Brittany Woodbury, I baptize you for on behalf of Jane Doe II, who is dead. For the name of and then you just get dunked like 10 times in a row. So are you, are we outside? I know there's lots of things about temples that we outsiders are not allowed to know or look upon mm-hmm. or whatever. Are you allowed, is an outsider allowed to look, see what a baptismal font looks like? You can Google image it. There's usually pictures on Google. I won't, I already <laughs> did. I know I do. I'm looking at it right now. I'm saying, is that like kosher in Mormonism? It's like when you can do, but you know, before they bless a temple, you can do a walkthrough. Is that one of the mm-hmm. rooms we're allowed to see? Or is that one of the no-no rooms they're not going to show us? I don't remember. I've never been on a temple walkthrough, which is true. Like before they dedicate the temple, they let the general public like just go through to be like look it's not weird it's not secret we except love, for we're this you see except for except these for rooms. Room. yeah but i've never done a walkthrough yeah, doing so i don't them. remember if they show you everything or not probably not but yeah like so i believe those images are probably from before it's been like blessed or before it's been dedicated so i think it's allowed like the baptismal font is the one they're not worried about that one. <laughs> they don't want you to know about the other stuff. Yeah, I'm looking at these and they have like oxen, I'm assuming is what they are. Cows, mm-hmm. bulls. It's is that all of them or just some of them? It's usually all of them because it's supposed to be the twelve tribes of Israel. So Right, right, right. So I've been in the Mesa temple and I've been in the Nauvoo temple in Illinois and they both have the oxen. So I am, I don't know when they're going to be done with the Salt Lake city temple, but I'm definitely going <laughs> to go see that temple. I'm so curious. Also, cause I just recently went to a wedding there for Ryan, my partner's cousin. And I was pissed that I had to stand out in the cold in December because I couldn't go inside this little dinky temple made for short people. Okay. <laughs> I was pissed about it. <laughs> no, it's yeah. Like I've been a bridesmaid for two Mormon weddings and both of them. It was like, all right, let us know when you're done. We'll be right here. Yeah. Cause yeah. Is you it like a thing for little Mormons to have a million bridesmaids. Yep. Cause usually it's like all your brothers and your sisters and they encourage big families because you want to bring as many people into the gospel you want as many people born into the gospel as possible and one way to do that is have as many children as possible right right wow i'm i love mormons i'm not like i don't think yeah i just i so i'm fascinated because i had never heard of the like when you were talking about if your parents 
weren't like sealed in the temple. So I assume if they converted and then they want to be sealed in the temple, that children can like go to that because I've had friends who were bridesmaids in Mormon temple, like weddings. And they, one, one of my friends had to sit outside just because she's not part of the Mormon church. But then another bridesmaid also sat out because they were watching kids together because like the kids weren't allowed in. So like, what's the difference in that? Is it because they weren't the like bride and groom's kids? Um, no kids are allowed usually during a, a wedding ceremony. I believe only people who have had their endowments are allowed to witness a sealing or a ceremony, a wedding ceremony. Cause like a sealing is different where it, it it's kind of the same. It's kind of different. Cause like when you get married, like you go to an altar and you like sit across from each other and you like hold your hands and you're sealed, which is kind of the same. Like when you have kids to be sealed with, you like, like sit at the altar and you all hold hands, but there's like different stuff going on. So I don't believe any children are allowed. I've never heard of a child or anyone younger that endowment age witnessing a marriage ceremony. And only like a couple of people are allowed, right? It's not like you can have as many people. It's only like parents and like six people or whatever. Like only people who have a temple recommend and all that jazz. And um, and it's totally, it's not like a normal secular wedding whatsoever. Like bridesmaids don't matter. Like right. groomsmen don't matter because you don't do anything that a secular wedding usually does except be like, do you, will you take this woman to be your wife for time and all eternity is usually what they say. And then. And then you come out because you change it to your temple. Like even if you're, you buy your wedding dress, yeah, you change into your temple clothes for your wedding. And then and you change back their... into your, your tux and your wedding dress when you leave. And they get, so their you're special... not even wearing your wedding dress. They get their special aprons and veils and whatnot. And they learn yeah. the secret handshake. Yeah, that's at the endowment. So you do that before your wedding. Oh, I've definitely the... googled that shit too. <laughs> oh, I'm on ex Mormon TikTok, and this girl did a fashion. This girl did a fashion show of like this is what I wore to my ceiling on my wedding, and I'm like, yep. wow, um, it's so ugly. So, so I guess that this is something that's different from like quote unquote like mainstream like Protestant Christianity and Mormonism is Mormons believe that like when you go to heaven you're still married and like I know that Protestants don't really believe that like they're kind of like marriage isn't a thing like when you go to heaven like it doesn't matter and so I always found that interesting because like like that language of like sealed for all time and eternity and I know a lot of my Mormon friends talking about like family is forever is like a very literal thing not just like a saying Mm -hmm. yeah in the mormon faith it's one of their big selling points is like with us your family will be connected will be reunited in heaven and you will be together for time and all eternity like forever and ever and ever like unless someone strays from the path like me uh you will be reunited. So like they make it sound like there is absolutely no religions out there other than them that promises Mm -hmm. this. 
And that's why it's important to be sealed so yeah. you are able to find each other, be reunited. I don't know yeah. how you would be separated in the first place, but whatever. I think um, that it feeds into like people's like fears, mm-hmm. you know, like people that that are like, well, I don't want to be separated from my spouse or my kids for all eternity. When, like you said, a lot of other, a lot of other religions, even in just like, sort of like the, like you said, like mainline Christianity, like I talk about this, like with my mom, a lot of like, do you think we're in heaven? Like, we'll know who each other is or like, will it not matter? And there's like no answer. Like it's never really talked about in like, not just the Bible, but a lot of theologies are kind of like, no, we don't really know. It's whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, for Mormons to be like, and this is what I want some clarity when they, when they talk about family, like, are they talking like your whole genealogy? Cause then there's so many people that marry into that. Or is this like, like your parents and like their kids, but then like, what if you have kids? Like, that's where I'm like really confused. of like, (laughs) what does this mean? Yeah. It, it's essentially whoever you're sealed to. So, so say in theory with my family. So my dad is true believing. My mom is true believing. My grandma, grandpa were true believing. Um, me and my sister are not. So would we be reunited with them in heaven? Maybe not. Uh, we, like say they make it to the celestial kingdom, my mom and dad, because they were married in the church. They had the temple ceremony and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my sister and I, since we, you know, broke covenants and stuff, like we drank coffee, we, you know, we watched a rated R movie. We, um, so like in the second coming, we, God decided we belong in the celestial kingdom. And my parents are in the celestial kingdom. So we're not together, but they could come down and visit us because like, if you're the celestial, you can go wherever, but like, if we're in the celestial or terrestrial, we can't go up to visit them. You can come down, but not up. Right. So not to have your parents on your butt all the time in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Right. There's some people where they're like, uh, I don't want to have to see my family ever again. So why would I ever yeah. want to be sealed to them? Yeah. I think about that too, of like people that are like, you're telling me I could just spend eternity without them. Like, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Mormons don't really believe in hell. It is like, I think it's some of them. I think if you're bad enough, you go to like a hell of some sort I think it's called outer darkness. You go into, you're cast out into outer darkness is what they call it. Um, Isn't that just like not existing? I guess it's their version of hell. Like I said, like you kind of said, like they don't really like say you're going to hell. They just say like, you'll be cast into outer darkness, but they don't say like, you know, you're going to burn in a fire in outer darkness. They don't really say from what I remember, what exactly happens to you in outer darkness, except like if you're there, you would have wished that you had kept the covenants and been able to go somewhere else. Mm. Sounds pretty wishy-washy to me. (laughs) (laughs) They're trying to be nice. They don't want to send you to hell, but they're telling you that you're not going to like it. 
I don't know what they're right. going to do to you, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> and they might say, but like I said, it's been so long. I don't even remember and I don't even care. So I'm like, send me to Outer Darkness. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Figure it out. Here's my next question. Um, in regards to missionaries, do they do anything for the communities that they serve other than proselytize and offer to mow your lawn? <laughs> they're supposed to in a way like like you said they reach out and ask if you have anything you need help with so like my mom is a widow so a lot of times the missionaries will come and mow her lawn or you know or do things like that because she doesn't have a man around to do it for her um i believe they do service projects i can't promise or confirm if every Mormon has done service projects or does things, but they're supposed to be there to serve the community, like to help the ward or wherever they, the church they're with. And, you know, usually they always ask like, is there anyone you want us to reach out to and like to talk about the gospel? And so you'd be like, oh, I got this new neighbor who moved in. You could go talk to them. Yeah. So if you, if you like moved out, the Mormon missionaries came, mowed your mom's lawn, they could be like, my poor daughter is straying from the church. Can you send some of those lady missionaries down to her? <laughs> yep. You can do that. I'm surprised because Spencer, you were my roommate for however long. Yes. I. To this day, I'm surprised that no Mormon missionaries ever showed up to our doorstep that I know of, because I was convinced because yeah. they sent people to my sister, you know, because my sister was the first one that, you know, left that left. And so I'm surprised that they never sent anyone my way. But maybe, that is a thing that happens. Maybe just the area we lived in. Cause like the other places I lived in Southern California, like I could think of where like the Mormon, like the local ward or whatever would be. But when mm -hmm. we, when we lived together, like, I don't, I don't even know where the nearest one would be. So maybe it was like a logistics thing. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Ryan. Um, cause they look for your information for the rest of your life until you pull your records. Apparently. Yeah. You're going to have your records yeah. pulled. <laughs> It's something I've thought about, but I've heard some things about it that just kind of make me uncomfortable. Like I've heard stories where if you like call your local stake or your bishop and say, I want my records taken from the church, they send people or they inform your family mm -hmm. so that they will go and try to talk to you and try to convince you not to do it. And that's one of the things that makes me uncomfortable about it because, you know, currently I live with said family and I really don't want to make things any more awkward than they already are. So, but I have heard that there is a resource like called quitmormon.com.org where they do it for you. So they'll send like a letter to your bishopric or to whoever they need to, to say, pull their records, please. And if you have questions, you talk to us, not them. Mm -hmm. But I haven't done that yet, just because, again, I'm just 
yeah. trying to get by, <laughs> but it is something I am interested in doing in the future. Yeah. With my partner, because one of the, sorry, you can finish your thought. Oh, it's, it was just one of the things I'm most scared of. And it's stupid to be scared of this is that after I die, because I've never had my endowments, you know, I been baptized, been confirmed, but I've never had my endowments or anything like that. And after I die, you know, just like they have baptisms for the dead, they have baptism or endowments for the dead. Mm. And so after I die, someone in my family, I know is going to send my name to the temple and get my endowments done. And I'm like, I don't want you to do anything to my body that mm. I do not consent to. But if you're dead, it's like, whatever. So I think I want my records removed just so I can hopefully possibly avoid having that done. Yeah. My partner has told me that oftentimes you are like shunned from your family if you, and not in like a Amish way, but in an uncomfortable, like side eye during Christmas way where it was just like a bad deal. And so he doesn't do it also because his mother would not like that very much she would probably hate it a lot right it yeah it can get very awkward i'm very grateful to that my family did not essentially throw me out onto the street when i said i was leaving that has happened to people that does happen to people in different situations um like if they come out like mm-hmm. as LGBTQ, they could be kicked out for that. Some families will accept them. They'll be like, I love you, but not your lifestyle. Because mm. mm-hmm. they say in the Mormon church, their response to the whole LGBTQ, like, why can't gay people have marriage? And they're like, well, homosexuality is a sin. But as long as you never act upon it, yeah. If you Very literally terrible. live a chaste wow. life for the rest of your life, you could potentially make it to some level of heaven. Yeah. Which is kind of stupid. That's like pretty much the same of a lot of, again, like a lot of Protestant, Catholic like viewpoints of just yeah. being like, of like basically they're like, so being gay is not a sin, but acting on it is a sin. And yeah, so like the inclinations is very normal, but yeah, but it's about like, again, it's like, of it, they would, they would associate it with like, oh, like you lust for another man or for another woman. Like that's the same as a heterosexual, like lusting for the opposite sex. So it's about intent and it's about action. So the actual action and intent of it is bad, but like the thoughts are very normal. And so, like you said, like Mm -hmm. if you live a chaste life, or even if you like repress yourself so much, you could like marry a woman or you could marry a man and have a quote unquote normal life. Like then it, then like God will like, you know, honor that. And like, you'll be rewarded for that versus the opposite of let's say, you know, they did, let you know, like devil's advocate, worst case scenario, let's say being gay is a sin and you decide to uh, abstain until you're married, you know, you get married, 
everything's fine. You literally do everything by the book, but because you decided to live that lifestyle, like that disqualifies you. That makes zero sense because we literally are like, well, everybody sins. And I'm like, then why is this one such a big deal then? Like, I don't understand, but, uh, right. But here at speaking in church, we do not believe it's a sin. So there you go. (laughs) And we believe that if your church says it is that you should leave and tag the building. Just kidding. (laughs) Especially because there is evidence or not even evidence. It's absolutely positively true that the church had a church owned conversion therapy camp center place to send Mormon LGBTQ members. And the fact that that was even a thing, even if it potentially, I don't, they say it's closed down, but who knows if that's even true or not. But the fact that that was even a thing from the beginning is very problematic. Maybe the actual like camp is closed, but I can like 99% guarantee, not just within the Mormon church, within a lot of churches, like conversions therapy is still alive and well, even though that there's been countless research studies that show that it's absolutely terribly harmful. Mm-hmm. It's because a lot of people still believe it's a choice. And how yeah. I try to combat that is I always tell people, I'm like, okay, you think homosexuality is a choice. When did you choose to be right-handed? Well, when did you choose to be straight? Literally. <laughs> when did right? Or when did you choose that cilantro tastes like soap? Yep. You I was did born it. with it, okay? <laughs> exactly. Oh no. And, People are wild. And it was actually the whole um, if you guys or anyone out there remembers the prop eight. Yep. Like when it was the big proposition eight was in California to try to um, ban gay marriage. That happened when I was in high school. That happened all around when I was questioning everything. And I found out that the Mormon church had donated money towards this cause, even though that's said illegal in a way because they're a church separation church and state and it was in california they're out of utah it was like a whole different state thing and i had for whatever reason i was that friend that everybody came out to like for some reason i was that friend that people felt safe to be like i'm bisexual but don't tell anyone because you know and so i had all these friends who were lgbtq and i was just like you're telling me that these are the people who were my friends because they liked me for who I am. Unlike all these people at church who thought I was the weirdo. And you're telling me that they're the sinners or that they're the godly persons or whatever. And so finding out that the church supported Prop 8 and all of that it stood for really left a bad taste in my mouth. It was one of the big reasons I left the church because I was like, I can't. I won't stand for this. Yeah. Leave non-affirming spaces, everybody. They are stupid and dumb, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's our strong stance here at Speaking in Church. Uh, we love the gays. Anyways, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. It has been 
I mean, I love Mormons. It's been the joy of my life for this conversation. <laughs> I just think it's so fascinating. I love breaking the rules and looking at the little handshake YouTube videos. I love it all. Ugh. Um, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. To but yeah, anytime. Day. I am all about talking about it. So yeah, friends, if you have any questions for our resident Mormons, let us know. We'll have them back on and yes, have them answer them for you. Brittany, um... Uh, rumor has it that maybe there's an ex-Mormon podcast on the way. Is that true? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, me and a friend have started our own podcast called Young Single Apostate. Mm. And it's just us talking from, you know, again, we were best friends growing up, but we were always in a different ward. And it's just interesting finding out all of these little things that we learned separately but we're like supposed to be, you know, under the same rhetoric, but we came out learning different things. And so we talk about like the history of the church. We've talked about polygamy. We're going to be talking about um, our next episode. It's going to be about, is it a cult? Is the Mormon church a cult? Is it a religion? What's the difference? Who knows? So that's kind of where we're going to be talking about next. So if you want to check that out, it's on Spotify, all those things. Great. Well, I don't know how to market you have myself, to plug. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what else do you want to market? What else? I know you got more. So what else is there? Brittany, what's your Etsy? You make cool stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, my Etsy is it's under the name Alkalite Jezebel. So it's spelled A-C-O-L-Y-T-E-J-E-Z-E-B-E-L so i make some goodies over there uh my instagram is the same exact alcohol jezebel and i'm gonna try to start a youtube i'm learning that i hate editing videos though so we're gonna figure that one out (laughs) (laughs) yeah how fun well thanks for joining us Brittany. uh spencer where can the people find us they can find us on Instagram at speaking in church. They can find Josie at Josie takes the world and they can find me at Spence Rose. All right, friends, as always stay woke or get woke. Jesus loves you. Bye. This has been an irreverent media podcast.